Welcome to Strung Out, the podcast that looks at life through the lens of an artist. Your host is the artist, writer, and musician, Martin Lawrence McCormack. Now here's Marty. Great to have you with us, and welcome to Strung Out. I have with me David Ficini, who grew up a Chicagoan, born bred, and now lives out in California, and took it upon himself during the pandemic to go out across America in a van and based on an old car driving board game, interview Americans about topics that are on their mind. But rather than me try to describe this, I would like David to talk about it and talk about his art. And that is of being a, a filmmaker and welcome to Strung Out. And before you start in on your projects, I just give people a little background on you, how you grew up, how you ended up going into filmmaking. Okay. It's interesting because film has definitely been the latest manifestation of what I've done, but I consider myself to be a storyteller. Done things on stage and screen, interactive things. But I'm basically invested in story, and film is a good format for that. I started, grew up in the northwest side of Chicago in Jefferson Park, the Mayfair area by Lawrence and Alston. When I was a kid, just was creative, artistic. It was nurtured. My father was a painter to a degree. My father was a Roman Catholic priest for 16 years and left the priesthood and got married. But he was a painter as well. So he's always a creative person and he was a storyteller as well. My mom loves to be gregarious and tell stories. And my uncles like telling jokes. My other uncle is an attorney, so he's used to being verbose. So this kind of story and narration thing is something that's always been around. I was heavily influenced by comedy. My dad got me a video camera as a kid and me and my friends used to make movies in the basement. I was always drawn towards art. My friendships that I formed growing up were through people through art and storytelling and creativity play. As people might have gone in different directions, I stuck with it. I followed that into through high school. I went to Catholic grade school, all boys Catholic high school. My stories got me in trouble drawing inappropriate things in a Catholic high school. Sure. I, I think we've all done that at one point. Uh, yeah. And- <laughs> And I got caught a couple times, so had some interesting stories about that. Went to Columbia in Chicago. I started studying film there. At one point, I had a film and my actor didn't show up. It got me frustrated and making a film is a very hard process to begin with. So what ended up happening is I started looking at animation and at one point I found stop motion and I was like, wow, if I build my actor, they'll always be there. Oh, what an interesting... Yeah. The idea that I'll just create my own actor. And and it had all the elements I love. Lighting, cinematography, staging. I love building props. I'm, I'm, I'm a hands-on artist. I sculpt. I do found object sculpture and all that kind of stuff. So I started making a stop-motion film, at, which ended up taking me seven years to complete. But it was my first stop-motion film. Yeah. So a film that I started as a student, I got hired by the school afterwards. And I started teaching stop-motion using that same film. I put it out in a a tiny little screening at the Portage Theater in 2007, I think it was. And I started being a stop motion person. There wasn't that much opportunity for stop motion in Chicago. I loved comedy and everything. So I started drifting towards comedy and performance. I performed at Improv Olympic. I started getting into directing 
and I directed comedy at Improv Olympic. I've directed comedy at Second City, at their Danny Skybox. And I became part of a, a group we called Creepy Hug. We put on shows for five years, comedy reviews at the end of the year, and then another topical show that might have been in the other part of the year. That had a good run. And after that, I was hitting the ceiling of what I felt I could do in Chicago. I was doing found object sculpture for this music-driven film festival. I started making awards for that festival that was made out of repurposed film and music production equipment. Oh, wow. One of the best awards I think I ever made was Melvin Van Peebles, who was the godfather of the black exploitation film genre, was being honored at this film festival that was called SimFest. It's no longer an active film festival. It might have a presence, but it had a, a good run for like several years. I was commissioned to make something that would speak to him. I ended up making a sculpture out of film reels, tripods and everything that I assembled to make look like a, a sawed off shotgun. But then I designed it to look like a 76 Cadillac Eldorado with gold trim and leather and everything like that. So it looked like this pimped out sawed off shotgun made of repurposed film and music production equipment. I was able to give that to him when he received it. He just looked at it. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Those are the moments that you feel like, all right, that makes it all worthwhile. You're on the path. In the Bay Area, I started figuring things out there. I worked on interactive experiences. There's a movie called The Game Mm -hmm. with Michael Douglas and Sean Penn. Where it was like, this, he gets a birthday gift. It was like, your game starts now. And essentially, if you're living your life, people start interacting with you. So there was a thing called the Headlands Gamble that you actually pay into. It's a two-day adventure. I'm the Uber driver, quote unquote, that gives a dossier to somebody. And then I end up a day later picking them up being like the Charlie of Charlie's Angels saying, welcome, you, you done well, or you maybe you didn't... Uh, uh, accomplish this thing, but it was an interactive thing that's in San Francisco in the Marin Headlands. And it just became well-placed actors throughout the Bay Area that people could interact with. Oh, how crazy. Yeah. So I love storytelling in all of its manifested forms, intentional forms of entertainment and also information. And you have found then the movie genre to be the best place to produce your stories, do you think? Or is this just the right vehicle right now? You know, every vehicle's right for the story you want to tell. It's like every story has its vehicle. And sometimes you'll see a play that doesn't quite make the movie way or the book. It all depends on how you manifest it. And you can shoehorn one story that's made for this, but it's not quite made for that. So it depends. I said to myself in my college career, I want to tell a story in every medium possible. My father, who I mentioned as a priest, he put out a book of his life and also the church that he first went to was supposedly haunted. Hmm. My brother helped uh, co-author the book and I did all the photography and illustrations and it's called Muldoon, A True Chicago Ghost Story. That was like the first collaborative story that we worked on as a family. I ended up doing comedy with my brother afterwards with part of that creepy hug group. But it all depends on like the stop motion story. There's a certain look and feel that has to be a little creepy, a little bit off. Or it has to be very cute and toy oriented. So it all depends on what you're doing. I've got stories right now that I want to produce that I have lined up. After this, the last two years, I've been doing this documentary going across the country and doing a word association with people to see what stories that evokes. Because mm-hmm. everyone tells themselves stories and makes tries to make themselves the hero of their own story. I think you're right. And before we started the podcast, you said there's two things that about stories, and I think it would be great 
to tell the listeners? Go ahead and define it. I've studied story, not even aware of it, but then I came to a revelation at one point, especially when I was running the stop motion department at this arts university in San Francisco and breaking down story to students. I started really analyzing it and I started looking at it in a broader scope. And I've since been giving talks about story actually here and in Mexico where I came to a realization that everything we do, humanity, since we have been able to pick up something to scribe, can be told through story, even before that. And there's only two types of stories, how to survive and how to thrive. And if you look at anything around you, turn your head and you look at a painting, that's could be thriving, it could be surviving. Photography. There's that picture after the war was done where you see in New York a sailor kissing a, a woman. That's thriving after surviving. The shortest, I, I used to think the shortest story that could be told is a cave painting of figures with spears and a large kind of creature. Because obviously somebody was alive to create that. So that's a story of thriving. The shortest story, however, that I have found visually without language that could be told universally is a stop sign It is a red octagon because anywhere in the world, if you see a red octagon, you know that you should stop there for a reason. Hmm. Red is the, the shortest, I think the shortest wavelength that can be seen the longest distance. And it's usually a color that even colorblind people can discern. And, and the octagon is a recognizable shape. That right there is the shortest story of survive. Obviously you do not drive around Rogers park that often. <laughs> I think, especially after the pandemic, even during the pandemic, survival became a relative term. Right. Yeah. And people started embracing a little bit more of their thrive sense and their thrill sense because they were so suppressed. But yeah. How do you perceive yourself? Are you a survivor or are you a thriver? Or do we, do we uh, transition back and forth between these? I think we all transition back and forth and it depends. There's manifestations of nature and nurture of where your chemistry is, what your upbringing is. The one thing that I find very interesting, if we were going to look at the brain, your brain stem is telling you one thing all the time. Just don't die. That's all it's telling you. That is your unevolved part, your upper brain, which is regulating. It's leaning towards thriving, making things better. So as an example, if you're going to go out with some friends and it's raining and you're going to meet them for a drink, you're thinking, I want to thrive, but I want to survive. Walking down the stairs, surviving. Don't slip, don't fall, don't break your neck. Walking down the street, you see somebody at night, you don't know what it is, surviving. Going into an Uber, trying to figure out if that's safe enough, surviving. Going and finally make the dangling carrot of thriving is where we regulate surviving. Mm -hmm. It's always a tennis match back and forth. And depending on your human nature, whether you're on more on the introverted side or the extroverted side, and that can that could have, again, that's a, a wide spectrum, but there are people who lean introverted. There are people who lean extroverted. You make calculated risks to find out how much you want to thrive versus how much of a challenge it is to survive. So that's where we all go back and forth. And I would say sometimes I go past my comfort zone to thrive. And other times I'm like, I don't need that. Mm -hmm. You know, the older you get, the more you start thinking about survival mode. I think as a, I think as a human condition, we certainly look at death, right? Mm -hmm. As we get older, death seems to play a little more of a prominent role in the the end game or whatever you want to call it, a motivator for 
mm-hmm. doing what we want to do sure. across the board. So as an artist, you see yourself thriving at times, but do you feel the, the call of an artist is to thrive or survive? I think if we're going to, from my experience and what people I've interacted with and even my thing, I can't not create. And I've tried to muffle the voice. I've got 10 projects in my head that it's insufferable to think of how to manifest them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make the voices go away. And that could be any voice. If I think creatively minded people, and that doesn't just mean artists, there's so many creatively minded people. Like I mentioned, my relationships I made through art in my life, they're still creatively minded people. But along the way, maybe that wasn't nurtured or they had other influences where my friend, one became a police officer. That's like the family business. He's a cop family. And I will say, I don't think it suited him. He's now retired. I have another friend who got into medicine, but we all met through art grade school, we met art. And, and the thing is, some people are encouraged and some people are discouraged. And it all depends on how much that drive exists in you. You hear stories about people who are from medicine families who go into comedy and it's, I can't not do what is driving me. So I guess it all depends on how much do you want to shut that tap off. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe I just didn't want to. Do you think, though, that the drive to create and be an artist, does that come from that lower brain part of us or does it come from the upper part? And I don't know if there's an answer for that, but you've been doing a lot of research field work. Yeah. And I want to get into that with your movie because you're interviewing people. You're basically holding those two ideas of story in your hand and maybe there isn't maybe art combines both i don't know if you've had any kind of revelation in that sense i don't know where it comes from Mm -hmm. that's like the ultimate question the one thing about science which i'm very science minded i think just because the social construct of religion has ultimately revealed itself to me to instill intolerance I cannot subscribe to an organization that creates us and them. Mm-hmm. So besides that point, the ultimate question is science explains how, but it doesn't explain why. And science is essentially trying to reverse engineer to the why. And we won't see it in our lifetimes. I don't know if we'll ever see it as long as humanity survives. So that's the ultimate question of what drives us. I don't, I, and I guess the whole thing is sometimes it's okay not to know. Mm -hmm. I think like actually even in everyday life saying, I don't know versus pretending to know Mm -hmm. is like one of the terms in my word association interview is mansplaining. The idea of overcompensating to say like, I'm in charge of my destiny. That's based off of fear. I don't know, but I'm in an environment where I should know, or they're looking to me as an authority. And I think the, actually the ultimate authority of somebody who is confident in who they are is saying, I don't know. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that we start going down a different road when there's an overcompensation, which essentially is a lie, but you're trying to curate a reality that people might feel that you are the hero. And like I mentioned in the stories we tell ourselves, we all make ourselves the hero of our story objectively, because I think that is a survival mechanism because we don't want to be revealed. It's imposter syndrome. 
It's a little bit of Joseph Campbell in some ways uh, describing the hero's journey that everybody is based on. And I don't want to dig into it too deep, but I think as our... I'll tell you, it's like I I bring up the hero's journey about every week with three or four times. Yeah. 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 Campbell is amazing uh, in that he takes that idea and and he makes it so uh, easy to digest and understand. But we all are the center of our own universes, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And with art, it is interesting. I I think that very rarely do you see a a successful artist, I would say, in the thrive mode. I think it comes more from the survive mode if I had to be forced to say something. What do you mean by thrive? Thrive. What I mean by Thrive is once an artist reaches a certain level of notoriety or has achieved a certain level of success, that impetus for creating sometimes goes awry. And if you look at some of the good cases of people that have crashed and burned spectacularly, usually it's when that drive is no longer as present in their lives. Sounds like you're thinking of an example. Elvis Presley is a good example Mm -hmm. of somebody that got very deep into Thrive and forgot about the survive. What's interesting about Elvis, and I only know I'm not an Elvis person, but I saw the film and I Mm -hmm. felt like it, just the dynamic of being beholden to the Colonel, as an example. That survive mode, whether he was willfully blind or came to a realization is all relative. Think about everyone's life, where you come from, and you have a dynamic in your family that you feel like, maybe I can't break loose from this. Mm -hmm. It's a balance of asserting your individuality. It's like Elvis could have made choices. Right. But he didn't have whatever you might call it the way to break from that dynamic. He could have done it. He could have filed for bankruptcy. He could have reinvented himself. He, he could, could have. have. He could have done a lot of things. But he was living relative to the situation. What was thought upon him, from what I understand, his mother had a very authoritative, mm-hmm. quid pro quo love dynamic with him. He had to earn it. And even then, it might not have been good enough. So living other certain dynamics of trying to earn something from someone, whether it's on a big scale or on a small scale of somebody who feels like they can't move and follow their dream because they're not going to have a job with insurance or something like that. It all depends. And I think, this again, this goes between the brainstem and the evolved brain. How much of this is going to make you break loose? Because uncertainty is the biggest agitator to anxiety. Mm -hmm. COVID is a perfect example. Nobody knew what was happening. And what you saw, in my opinion, is the people who are more extroverted had a harder time getting through COVID because they draw satisfaction and energy through interaction. Mm -hmm. The introverted side of it didn't have as big a problem. So it depends on, I always find it an interesting there in the scale. How do you know if you're extroverted or introverted? If you go out for an evening and you're with your friends and you're hanging out, by the end of the evening, are you feeling amped up or are you just drained? Mm-hmm. And I find that introverted people love interaction, but at a certain point, they got to be like, I'm out of here and I need to go pass out. And other people can stay past the party and hang out and keep going and they're feeling good and want to do it again the next night where maybe the introverted person needs the rest of the weekend to recover. So 
when you saw people who were told there's no party and you got to be in your own environment, that was torture, mental mm -hmm. torture. Sure. So that was an interesting dynamic to see how that manifested and building into other what could eventually be, be mental illness to say this reality doesn't exist. So I'm curating a different reality for myself. So I make sure that I can still survive and also thrive. I, I know I'm going down a different path, but it brings me to a different point of like how we look at the world and I could get to that in a second. You're handling it and explaining it as a storyteller should. Mm. You're trying to parse the different gears and, and so that's good. And we're going to take a little break here, but before we do, I want you to give the listeners your website okay. so they can start hooking into your films and everything about you, what you offer. Okay. My website is called Della Rocco Studios. So D-E-L-L-A-R-O-C-C-O -C -C and Studios, named after my mother, Della, and my father, Rocco. My middle name is Rocco. I usually go by David Rocco Ficini as my uh, artistic name. Nice. I um, like that. Yeah, and that's on the front page. It gives a little overview of my most recent project called USA to Z, where I'm doing a word association with people across the nation to see the stories I can elicit. And in my film, I also talk about how story shapes everything and even the story of America, the story we tell ourselves to live in America. Yeah, DelaRoccoStudios.com. Great. Let's dive into that when we come on the other side of the break. You are listening to Storyteller and Stop Motion and Live Motion movie filmmaker David Rocco Ficini on Strung Out. Go to martinmccormack.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll get the latest blog from Marty, information about upcoming podcasts, and what's happening in the gallery. That's martinmccormack.com.
We're back with David Rocco Ficini. We're recording here in the live studio. I want to jump back into the film that you recently have been working on. This is a pretty complex project. And can you tell the listener just what you did and and how this board game inspired you to go on? Did you hit all 50 states? The wheels of my van touched every state that is in the contiguous U.S. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I bought a Class B Sprinter, which is actually a 2003 vehicle. It is actually the Prometheus or the Adam and Eve of what you might see on the road today. It's a cross combination. It's got a Mercedes engine. It has a Freightliner body, and it was designed by Airstream. You can find these groups called Million Mile Sprinters because they're diesel engines. I bought it with 271,000 miles. And it's now at 308. I've had issues with it, but they're repairable issues. And this, these things can run forever if you take care of it. I fell into this. I'm not a mechanic. I'm not mechanically minded per se, even though I'm hands-on. But I've been learning. And there's a community out there. So I bought this Sprinter to hit the road. And the idea was, I'm going to interview people while I go. And I just figured I was going to start just doing a word association with folks. Whenever I would travel with my partner at the time, Zeta, we would take a road trip. We moved across the country from Chicago to Oakland in 2016. And on the road, we would play like road bingo, or we would play the A to Z game. As you're driving, you look for signs and you're like, hey, Applebee's. And you, as you go, you just go through the alphabet. And it became like a little competitive thing of who can see what and how far your eyes can see and all that stuff to get something down. But it was just like a way to pass time on long road trips. And also when I was a kid, my parents would load us up into whatever vehicle was at the time. And there was these little cardboard game pieces that had these little translucent windows that you could slide over. So if you saw a fire truck, if you saw a stop sign, you saw a little girl, and it was formatted in a bingo sense. In April of 2021, I was ready to hit the road. And I started interviewing people in the Bay Area as a beginner and always very COVID cautious. I knew I was visiting people, family that I hadn't seen for a while. I would sit down with people outdoors. I would just do a word association and start going from A to Z. I'd try to squat with them for about an hour and whatever the hour allotted is what we did. Did you have the game board in front of them? I just started with word association. I ended up developing the game board. This is an interesting thing as an aside. So as a stop motion animator, I, I love the movie Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. And in that documentary formatted, animated, scripted film, Marcel says at one point, and the funny thing about documentaries is you don't know what it is until it presents itself. That's what I figured. I will find the story, but I'm going on the journey. Uh As I would travel, as I started, one of the first stops I ended up doing, it wasn't necessarily exploring the States. I wanted to go visit my buddy, Mike and Wendy, who live in Minnesota. And I've been creative with them for many years. And Mike is an animator, an Emmy award-winning animating director. And Wendy's a wonderful production artist. She's a great animator as well. They're a couple and I've known them since college. So we were, we've been working on a project since college called Monkey and Car, which is an animated series, a finite series, not like an ongoing thing. It's got a beginning, middle and end. So I wanted to go there, but as I was traveling there, I would stop along the way and I would see general stores, which I love. And I came across uh, one camping trip, this game that had the yield sign, the little girl, the fire truck. And I was like, that's cool. Of course, I remember this, those bingo games. And I was just like, 
I liked the idea of it. So I started just de designing the graphic, but it wasn't until about a year later, a year and a half later, that I was able to meet up with a producer. So I was going to end my road trip several months earlier, but then a stop motion film I produced, I got word that it was going to be showcased in Cannes, France in 2022. I was in New Mexico and I was heading west and I was like, I got to do this. So I went back up north, circled back to Chicago. I, I run a stop motion festival online, which would have been in person had COVID not happened. It was supposed to be in April of 2020. Mm -hmm. A very smart guy, Edwin Ruiz, Mondo Machine. He's a producer. He's a filmmaker. He operates out of Chicago in Wicker Park. We worked on this game piece. We refined it. We die cut the piece. I did the graphics and it was a, a back and forth trial and error. We finally got something that looked good that we could interact with. So since then, I've been playing a short form of this word association. And you asked about an example. One of the perfect examples I have is saying Mount Rushmore. I've gotten responses anywhere from testament to our greatest presidents, a monument to genocide. George, Paul, John, and Ringo. It's just, what is your Mount Rushmore? And we tell ourselves stories based on the information that's either been handed to us, that we've found that speak to us, or something that we've sought. And this is how we curate our reality. How interesting that Mount Rushmore, of course, is a great icon to start with. And But let me get this straight before we take another quick break. You would approach a general store, you pull up, and you're a very approachable person for the, you people in the listening audience, very friendly. And would you say, I have this game, I'm making a film. Are you willing to participate in it? Was it that kind of thing? How did you get people to actually yeah. go on film Especially during these crazy times. Some of it was reaching out to people that I've known through my creative endeavors throughout my life. Sometimes it was, I've interviewed a couple family members, but other times when I didn't know somebody, it, it, I would never put it as the agenda first. I was in a place in New Mexico before I went to Cannes and it called Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. I was in this small little town and walking down this strip and there was a place that had a bunch of old cars, like Model T old cars mm. sitting in the front. I'm not a car person, but like these kind of souped up cars. So I'm like, wow, I'm walking around and this guy peeks out and he's got a cowboy hat and shorts and he's got a USMC, United States Marine Corps shirt, probably guy in his 70s, maybe older. I, I don't want to be something about Jim. In case he's listening. Yeah, but very youthful too. He's like, how you doing? I'm like, hi, I hope you don't mind. I'm just sniffing around your property, looking at your guys. No problem. You want to come in for a beer? I was like, okay. So we started chatting and he starts talking to me. I start talking to him and he reveals how he was a Vietnam soldier. And I just started chatting. I was like, listen, I'm traveling and I'm also doing this word association type of thing. I'm wondering if you'd be interested. So I like making a little bit of a connection. I don't, I'm not like saying, you see a lot of things on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram where it's just like standing on a boardwalk and trying to interact with people and just doing that short form stuff, which is, there's fine with that, but that's just not my approach. So the viewer is going to really see a person open up yeah. as opposed to those boardwalk things where we're going to, you know. I think there's an entertainment value of being a little bit exploitive in those things of showing somebody's ignorance or whatever it could be. 
I'm thinking of just like simple kind of quick interview things. But what I'm trying to do is really get to understand how people have curated their reality in the United States. Perfect. And before we take this break, this is David Rocco Ficini and it's USA to Z is the name of the movie that's being worked on right now. Are you still wanting to interview people? (laughs) I'm always up for interviewing people. I'm always interested in trying to get more states represented. Like I said, I have about half of the states represented. A few people, you can go to David's website and you can reach out to him. And also for the listener, is there a way that they can see your stop action movie that made it to Cannes? So right now we only have the preview. My other entity of stop motion is called Mo Stop Mo, M-O-S-T-O-P-M-O. If you go to Delarocco Studios, you'll see something called the Cookie Cutter, and that links up to my festival. I have every festival posted on YouTube, and you could see it within the context of, it might have been our 2020 festival. Okay. So it's in its full form. It's an eight-minute thing, but we will be releasing it again because now it's done with this festival tour. So Go to DelaRoccoStudios.com or go to MoStopMo.com. Very good. We'll be right back with David Rocco Ficini. You are listening to Strung Out. Hello, everyone. My name is Polly Chase. I am the gallery director of Marty's Online Art Gallery at MartinMcCormick.com. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to go check out his artwork. He works in several different formats, painting, illustration, drawings, and a very unique way of doing scratch art, which I think you'll find very interesting. So go check it out, martinmccormack.com. Click on the gallery, look at the art, and when you're ready to start your own collection, send me an email at martyfineart at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.
They came to stay, they came to fight, they came to play. It was very rude and also polite. It said good morning and then good night. I am asking you because... Asking you because I don't know just what it was. We're back here in the studio and I'm interviewing David Raccofacini. He has this movie that's going to be coming out USA to Z. What did you learn from interviewing these people? Because these are tumultuous times. Mm-hmm. And my initial feeling is this is very risky. Oh, really? Interesting. The idea that, you know, who are you? I see you, you want me to do word association and are you one of them? Were you met with suspicion or were you or did people uh, open up to you? I will say, so this is something that I find interesting. I'm very open minded and I am definitely of the liberal side of things. There were people that I met along the way, and I have family members that I love who are Trump supporters, DeSantis supporters. I'll give this as an example. I was traveling in Colorado, and my van is a Class B van, but it's 22 feet long, 21 feet long. It's got a presence. I pulled up, and I was having pizza in Golden, Colorado. I go in, I'm having a pizza, and I'm sitting with a friend there. She was actually traveling in her van that I helped her purchase, and she joined me for a while. This guy overhears what we're talking about, and he leans over and he hands me a sticker. And I don't know if you saw this in the Midwest, but it was definitely something that you would see throughout more of the South. It was a Biden sticker with pointing it that you see him put on the fuel pumps that said, I did this. And it was like supposed to indicate how Biden was responsible for the fuel surge. And he handed it to me and he was wearing a red MAGA hat. And I just... I was like, oh, hey, how's it going? He's like, I thought you might want this. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I was like, can I ask you, do you think that one person who's been in power for maybe a couple of years is responsible for such a surge? I was like, do you think that maybe it's also relative to a global pandemic, a war in Ukraine and ensuing? Do you think that maybe this isn't just he did this? And it was interesting to see because I'm, I'm engaging in thoughtful conversation. I fell into the trappings a while back of online wanting to win, getting aggressive verbally through text. And it also reads the thing about written text is it reads depending on how people receive it. But oftentimes there was no doubt of where I was coming from. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is it. So what I do is I want to engage in people because I really do want to understand something that it just just does not make any sense to me in, in a very human way. Mm-hmm. I will say one of the things about religion that I do embrace is the thought of live and let live and incorporate and building community. So right. I think that's what I think is the ultimate religion. And I think that's innate to regardless. So I'm asking, like, he, and I asked him that question. There was a hockey game going on. And whenever I would ask him a question that would challenge him a little bit, he was all of a sudden invested in this hockey game. And I would wait. Then he would come back to me and he would go to another subject and he was just like this. I saw this movie that said so. So we got it. it, He didn't really answer that question, but then he started asking me about the election. Do you think that Biden is president? And I was like, I'll say this. There's no longstanding institutions that exist that we've invested in since this country's been around that has been able to prove otherwise. 
And of course, voting, there can be malfeasance. We're from Chicago. The, the phrase in Chicago is vote early, vote often. Dead people vote in Chicago. But is it to the point where it's going to overturn a national election? And they found some malfeasance here and there, but it was nothing that was going to be substantial. So yes, there is malfeasance, but no, I haven't found evidence. And no one who's investigated has found evidence. The states that really wanted it to be couldn't find evidence. That's what I said. And he said, I saw this movie that, and I was like, I, can I just stop you right there? I was like, movies are stories that have a agenda. I was like, I make movies. I know how to push forth an agenda. So I would ask that maybe you invest in another source if you want to prove your point. So we continue to talk and you know, eventually... He started saying, do you think Michelle Obama is a woman? And then you start getting into somebody's mindset. And I'm happy to engage. So the one interesting thing that I did find is people who have these biases can still be nice and friendly, especially to a white man. If I was a white woman, maybe not. Maybe if I was another shade. But we were engaging civilly. And he just, I was like, I think that's irrelevant if she was a man or a woman. I was like, what does that matter? How does that influence politics? How does that manifest? And he's given me an emotional perspective of who he is and what he believes in. And what I've realized is everyone who's brought up by parents who you want to love you, you can't imagine those parents steering you wrong. The people who love you aren't going to tell aren't going to teach you racism. How could they? They're not going to teach you intolerance. Why would they? But it happens. I grew up in an environment where the N word was tossed around in humor, and I used it. I joked. I would do the same thing. Female jokes. Brazil nuts were called N toes in certain circles. And I was just like, and my mom shot that stuff down no matter what. She's very liberal, very loving, and extroverted. So there was always this thing. I was like, oh, I'm just kidding. And she's like, yeah, but those mean, and I didn't interact with many people of, cover in, of color in the Northwest side. And that humor was, is prolific. So you don't imagine the people who love you steering you wrong, but then there becomes a responsibility of your own emotional, social evolution, where you are put up with a conflict of saying, oh, I realize that this is bad. I was in high school playing football with, uh, I'm sorry if I'm going on a little bit, but I was in high school playing football with somebody and we had three black students in the entire all boys Catholic high school that people paid tuition to go to. And we were playing football. And at one point when I was a kid, we used to play a game called end pile. And it's, you point at someone, you yell it out and you all jump on them. And that's what, what the game was. We were playing football. And at the end of it, I'm about to say it. And I, all of a sudden, it was like I went online. I was like, oh, shit. And then I started thinking about that. And what does that mean? And then the racial implications of which it was founded, lynching and everything like that, which became, it's like cowboys and Indians. The Indians were the bad guys. The cowboys were the good guys. Well, if you look at history, uh, cowboys weren't always the good guys. Did you find by talking to these people, was that just a side benefit, these interviews and uh, the, the discourse? Or is that what the, the movie ended up portraying, is that somehow we all have these stories. Mm. Some of them are learned. Mm -hmm. Some of them are. And I love the idea talking about movies pushing an agenda, mm -hmm. because more than movies push an agenda. And clearly, in this case, talking to this guy, he 
he certainly had an agenda too, right? What's interesting, I don't I guess it depends on if you want to call it an agenda. So I guess the idea of having an open mind is being open to thought. And what I like to do is plant seeds and I'm not trying to win. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to prove a point, but I'm challenging a notion. Mm-hmm. So the conversation with this person who actually ended up not being on film, this was just an interaction in a pizza parlor. At one point, I said the Mount Rushmore example to him. And then I was like, what is the first thing you think of? with?" Mount-? I told him what the film was. What's the first thing you think of with Mount Rushmore? And he says, oh, it's just a mountain of our greatest presidents. And then I say, some people say it's a monument to genocide. And he's like, oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. How can people say that? And I was like, I guess if you look at it this way, if you were indigenous to an area and you loved a mountain and you actually worshiped this mountain and you saw in that mountain in its natural formations, the spirits, the faces, the bodies of your ancestors, and then an entity comes in and annihilates not only your people, but decides to blast into that spiritual epicenter, white male faces, maybe you would have a feeling about that. I was like, what if it ended up they carved Michelle Obama's face into Mount Rushmore, or even Barack Obama's face, and he's like, oh, that's ridiculous. I was like, if you look at his presidency, he did pretty well. He's like, First president to ever get healthcare, maybe not perfectly, but on the table, whereas every other developed nation has it. Almost every other nation across the board has it. Right. So it's just like planting a seat. And whether that grows or not is not my responsibility. But this is one of the things that I really learned. When you present factual, when you present information to somebody which would challenge it and you decide to deny that information, that is the foundation of injustice. We're going to leave it here uh, for this podcast right there with talking about David Rocco Ficini, storyteller, filmmaker. He has this new movie that's going to be coming out, USA to Z. And are you going to have the board game with it when the movie comes out? (laughs) It all depends on how this manifests. My goal is to have this out by next spring in a festival circuit, okay. and then hopefully by summer in terms of like road trip season. Okay. We'll see how it all goes. These are prototypes that we've developed, so anything's possible. Great. We're going to do a part two with David and uh, continue along with his uh, journey as being an artist, a storyteller. Uh, not every day do you meet somebody whose film ends up at Cannes, and uh just fascinating that he ended up traveling and making a, a movie during probably one of the most tumultuous times in American history. So that in and of itself is very intriguing to me. And but we're going to leave it at that at this for this week. Thank you, David Rocco Ficini, and thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. For more information about this show or a transcript, visit martinmccormack.com. While there, sign up for our newsletter. See you next time on Strung Out. It's all so wrong, it's pain we feel, makes